Welcome to another episode of the Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigic. I'm Derek Neighbors. And I'm Mark Inchi. And today we're going to be doing a kind of lean coffee style. So we just generated some topics and we're going to do about three minutes per and we'll kind of just see how it goes. All right. What's the first topic, Derek? The first topic, who attends a retrospective? The retrospectees? <laughs> yeah. So I, I added this topic. Uh, came up where team I'm working with uh, wanted to do a retrospective and so I invited the team and I think there were some people who were a little confused why they weren't invited and I got me thinking you know I kind of have an idea of who goes to the retrospective in my mind that's kind of like the people who were doing the work and you know if the team wants to change that or they want to do something different then up to the team but that's kind of my default answer you know I didn't know if maybe I was making some assumptions or uh, if other people had some different things. So, you know, what are your thoughts? Oh, I'm trying to remember what the scrum guide specifically says. Um, I believe it I believe it says uh, the team, right? Um, the thing is, I think there's kind of two teams. There's the uh, potentially like the development team or a team doing the work, and then sometimes um, outside of that will be maybe like a scrum master or a, a product owner who are still part of the team but different from the like implementation team sometimes. And so... I've certainly seen both of those answers where, you know, hey, it's just the development team or the implementation team or it's the team, right? And that's product owner, scrum master, um, and the people doing the implementation. I think anytime you start to get outside of that scope um, where you've got, you know, dev managers or um, stakeholders or some other things, you kind of get into this, like, dangerous territory of... um, you know they're not actually doing the work so it gets a little weird and then there's also sensitivity around being vulnerable and you know is this going to be used against me kind of thing um that said um i do think there's some value sometimes in having something that looks kind of like a retrospective with those bigger groups um so one of the things i've seen is you know hey you know week to week or sprint to sprint or or however you know whatever interval hey it's just going to be the kind of team doing the work in uh, product owner scrum master but then you know maybe once a month or once a quarter or as need be we might you know kind of do more your typical like post-mortem in a retrospective fashion to say you know hey how can we make change outside of this but i don't know i've seen uh places where um you have uh, introducing new ideas in terms of uh, how you might do retrospectives where people from other teams might want to attend. And I think the only way you can really do that safely is to make sure that there's consent among the whole working team beforehand. Um, but I've seen a lot of that. All right. Uh, next one. Next one is visualizing flows across teams. Uh, yeah, so Derek, this was a situation I was explaining to you just a few minutes ago. So uh, imagine you've got, um, and this might, it's probably is the case in a lot of organizations, but you have a scenario where there's maybe, um, so, uh, like there's some group of people or person that's doing kind of one set of work in terms of taking ideas and turning them into stories. And then you've got another group of people who are maybe implementing those stories, doing the actual work, you know, coding, whatever that looks like. And then you have another group of people who are maybe doing some like ops type things, like doing some deployment things, um, maintaining stuff, whatever. And so this was kind of a, if you if you look at, um, you know, I think it's helpful to visualize the, the flow of something, um, for the, the flow of a team over, 
over how their work is completed so that you can find bottlenecks or find things where things are slowing down or whatever the case is. And I was wondering, you know, what, what would it look like if you tried to string all those things together and get kind of a more holistic view around where are things getting stuck? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the whole premise of Kanban, right, is, you know, visualize what what's currently happening or what the current process is, apply some form of limit, whip limits, constraint of some kind, to see if you can find out where the bottleneck or where the piece is. Um, I'd certainly done with a ton of teams, uh, like in a paper airplane game, where you kind of do like paper airplane manufacturing, yep. and you kind of say like, hey, to start the game, everybody has to do one kind of thing, you know, in a function, and then over time you can adjust however you want, right? And, it's in- and you know, you kind of measure out how many paper planes were created each cycle, etc. right? And you can do, do you can get a pretty in-depth game, uh, so I, d- I definitely think there's a ton of value to that. I, I think uh, usually what happens is I see people backpedal really quick about like this is the stupidest thing ever because you know, you know, you know we're gonna hit the whip limit like day one immediately and it's like well yeah like but isn't that you know it's one of those that's already happening you're just not visualizing it now you put it up on a board and it becomes really obvious it's like well I don't want to put that on the board because you know everybody's gonna know how like silly we look. The emperor has no clothes, right? You're walking around with, like, this massive process impediment, and everybody who has to do anything with your team knows that there's this massive impediment. And then it's like, okay, like, by the way, look at the mirror, and then step outside. It's like, I'm not going outside. I'm naked. It's like, dude, you've been walking around naked for six months. Like, what's the point? (laughs) Right. All right. Next one. How big is too big for a backlog? Um... (laughs) I put this one in. So one of the things that, that I've noticed over time, and I certainly noticed it where on current scheme, kind of doing a lot of product work, is it's really easy to just say, like, oh, you have an idea, throw in the backlog. Oh, you have an idea, throw in a backlog. Next thing you know, you've got this backlog that's got hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of items in it to the point where you don't even know where, what's up, what's down, what's around. And there's certainly, like, some emotional baggage around like, I don't want to throw those ideas out, even if I know they're not going to be done in the immediate future. So, like, what is what is the, what is the too big for a backlog? And how do you handle it if it's getting too big? I don't think there's a number, is there? I, I think um, we've recently had this problem in the team that I'm currently working on. What we've done is we've just literally just pulled over the backlog into some other column on the board and just said, oh, okay, well, let's make everything justify its place in the backlog. And then it turns out that only a third of the stuff in our backlog is actually supposed to be there because it's only a third of the stuff. When we're all sitting down and being honest and saying what actually has value in this backlog is stuff that we actually pull back in. And actually, like as long as your team's relatively aligned about what actually has value, that's a pretty easy process. It doesn't take very long um, is what, what I've seen. Yeah, that's like the buy a future game, right? You know, you take this huge thing that everyone insists is all important you have to do, and then you start putting some values to things and, you know, give people limited resources, and it's like, uh, oh, it, as it turns out, only the 15% of the stuff is really what we want. Um, I, I'm kind of the opinion that there really isn't... I'm okay with putting a bunch of junk in there as long as you're okay with getting a bunch of junk out. So, you know... do. I made a joke the other day of, like, every two weeks, I'm just going to delete the bottom 10 things in the backlog. And honestly, I don't think anyone would notice. So I think there's this tendency, especially with digital tools, to say, hey, I have an idea. I don't want to forget it, so put it in the backlog. And like, right. if we put it in the backlog and it's in this tool, then no, we'll never forget it. And we'll get to it someday, you know. Um, but then, really, everything just gets pushed down or moved over. 
And I've been trying to be a little more diligent um, with kind of doing kind of backlog grooming, whatever you want to call it. And you'll find that there will be things that get added by people during the week where it's like, oh, something came up, I thought of it, I'm going to go put it in there. Oh, hey, that's already in the backlog. And so now we have all these duplicates. So I think that's maybe some kind of smell around, you know, how we're putting new things in there or what the yeah. kind of process is for that. Yeah, I definitely think that there's something to be said for, like, getting things done by David Allen, right? There's, you, you know, things occupy your mental space until you can do something with them. So sometimes putting in a backlog gets it out of your mental space and lets yeah, you move sure. on. So I'm totally cool with that. Uh, you know, where, where I think we get stuck or where, where I've seen people get stuck is then you've got, you have a lot of emotional energy, like prioritizing and moving those things around, like grooming on a regular basis. Yes. And so one of the things that I have started to play around with that is kind of working for me is trying to create like vision and strategy and then kind of saying if, if this item doesn't line directly move a strategy piece forward like it's an automatic like no like just no right? yeah um but that's hard to do so are you doing that by manifestos like deciding where your strategy lies right i, don't know, I think we're out of t- time for that one but <laughs> that would be a good topic for another one that i almost wrote a card for it so maybe if we have time at the end we'll come All back right. to that one next one so uh, fostering leadership uh among the meek and among quiet. the meek and quiet so if you have a team where you have like half people who are pretty loud and natural oh sorry uh, pretty natural leaders and you have the other half of the team who have good ideas uh, but are not used to standing up for their ideas, uh, what mechanisms can you use to help improve that situation? A talking token, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I, you know, I know you're joking, but that, that I've seen that work actually pretty well. Yeah, um, I think I think in meetings, yeah, like, yeah, that exactly. works. But, like, I think outside of, you know, you're having some informal thing, I think that becomes a lot harder right. to do. Right. Um, you know, I, I think the, the things that I have been successful with in this situation is um, I I really like the idea of uh, you know model the behavior you want to see so I I think that it that turns into you know showing people that it's okay to uh, to share their ideas or be vulnerable or whatever the case was so that's been successful Um, and then I think also you know finding ways through whatever techniques you're doing for certain things to maybe um, give people that maybe wouldn't otherwise say something maybe more of a voice so for instance like in a retrospective um i've had a lot of success with doing things especially with like a new team or maybe a team that's still kind of forming or there's not a whole lot of trust doing things where there's some anonymity and um you can kind of separate the idea from the person i think i've seen that work pretty well um in general from like a leadership perspective i mean i think some people maybe it's just a matter of how the company culture is or maybe even how they were brought up. I think if you if you think in terms of like the school system, whatever, I don't think you're ever really um, you're never really told to to take advantage of that or to take control of a situation. I think some people are maybe more encouraged to do that than other people. And then once you get into maybe a more uh, like a team environment where things are a little more level playing field and it's not necessarily about who's most popular and those kind of things, I think people have a chance to shine. They just don't realize it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in structured meetings, there's a ton of facilitation techniques you can use to, to foster some of that. I, I think it gets way more difficult when you get outside of the structured meeting, right? Um, and I think there is all culture, 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 right? Like you have to you have to build mechanisms in your team and human dynamics 
that give people the safety to have the voice and do those things. Um, I, I find a lot of things in the core protocols do fairly well with that. An example is a decider. Hey, everybody, it has to be unanimous. So, right, it gives me an ability to, to have my piece or to say that in a kind of a non-threatening way. Um, I, I think there are a, a, a lot of things that can be done there, but I think it's also encouraging. I mean, so if you notice that, and people just really encourage them to 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 speak up and make sure it's safe when they do that. You know, the loud voice doesn't just shoot them down. Uh, I've seen that a lot on teams uh, where it's the like I'm going to shout you down is the way that I deal with ideas. Um, and if you don't have a strong enough person, it's almost like a form of bullying, right? I'm going to bully to get my way, opposed to uh, hear you out, right? And so I'd say as a leader. Like, when you see that happen, you need to kind of call it for what it is and say, like, hey, I'm not going to let that happen. Right. right. The last item, hiring culture versus skill. Um, so I've seen a lot of stuff on hiring lately um, in the industry. There's a whole lot about culture fit, fit versus skill versus, you know, mindset. And I don't know, maybe get your guys' ideas on, um, you know, I think everybody's hiring pretty much all the time. If a company's growing, they're hiring. Um, at some level and you know uh, what 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 cuts the mustard for the kind of people you want to work with or the kind of teams you want to build I think I always I always think that culture is way more important than skill right um, you can teach skill it's a lot harder to teach culture particularly when you're bringing people so, in. so, right. so I agree with I, I personally agree with that one of the, the, the kickbacks I, I've seen in some arguments recently is well what happens when you have like, how do you know if somebody's capable of acquiring the skill? So, hey, you know, Clayton is a super awesome guy. We absolutely have a perfect culture fit, but, you know, we're doing quantum physics, and at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter how hard he tries, he's just not going to be in the quantum physics crowd. Well, I mean, I, I'm not saying that yeah. Clayton can't be in the quantum physics crowd, but, but this is an example. <laughs> you select the culture up. first, and then you select the skill, right? So, I mean... We are having situations where a lot of people are, we are interviewing, some of the people won't even see these people's resumes. All that will happen is, is we'll have a culture talk. And we won't even start asking technical questions until we're actually happy with the culture because you don't actually want to be tempted by, oh, wow, this guy's really awesome technically, but he's going to be a culture car crash, right? Yeah, so I think that's... So the line of thinking of like, well, maybe you get culture, but you don't know the skills, I think that's like the holdouts of people who don't want to hire for culture. But in my mind, part of my culture that I want to hire for is like a culture of learning or that something with learning, right? Right. And so I think if you can demonstrate that you have learned a lot of things or that you have a, a desire to learn new things um, and that's something that you can showcase in other areas, I would feel much more likely that you're going to pick up the skill. Um, I think some. I think the hiring for culture kind of gets a bad rap because people think the culture is like you're a good person or you fit it in or you're funny and charming or whatever like i think it kind of gets glossed over that there are some serious kind of nuts and bolts about the culture stuff that i think people who actually do hire for culture yeah are for. so so maybe this is a whole nother topic we're running out of time but i'll go fast here um i think people totally fucking misunderstand what culture means and, and what i mean by that is i i think when i talk a lot about culture fit in the circles i'm in right now it is much more like do i get on with this person Exactly. Right? Yeah. And it's like, well, that's part of it. But there are a lot of people I get on with that I would not want to fucking work with because they don't share my value systems for work at all. Yes. And there are some people that grind me that I do not care for. But damn it, I like working with them because at the end of the day, they push me in all the right ways 
from a culture perspective. And I, I think I think there's a, a whole conversation to be had about kind of what is culture, right? Because it's really behavior, right? And so it's like I can like somebody and and not like their behavior, or I can dislike somebody and and like their behavior, right? You look at most married couples, there are things that probably piss piss you off about your spouse and vice versa, but you still you know, very much are able to uh, be with them because you've got a shared value system around a certain number of things. And I think the same thing happens in the workplace is it's not, oh, I like everything about this person and we're best buddies and that's what makes it a good culture fit. It's, you know, do they espouse the same values that that we have as an organization? And and it's, it's really, I mean, it, it, it hits hard when you start to talk about hiring for culture and what does that mean? Well, right, because there's a lot of people that are like, well, I, I don't. Our culture is like, where does it say that our culture is that? Right. What are good signs that you're doing the right thing? Right thing from a hiring from, from a hiring from a hiring culture. Like, what are signals that you can see that are? I, I, I think I think some good signals are you see um, uh, people uh, up leveling the behaviors that you're trying to build, right? So if you say like, we want a culture of learning, like that's one of the values that we have. If you hire a good culture fit, they should be doing things that are increasing evidence that they're adding to the whole organization being more interested in learning, right? Or whatever your your value piece is. I think the danger in that starts to become, do you get to the point where you're a bubble, right? Where it's like, you know, your, your culture becomes so like ingrained one of the things you might start to do is not allow um for lack of a better term the right diversity the right influence to like you know continue to grow right if you say like this is our culture is we do this and this is the behavior we do all the time for this and there's like no exceptions then the next thing you know like you know are you actually stagnating yourself because you're not allowing it to grow all right i think with that we have gone way over so thanks everyone and maybe that will be a good topic for another episode yeah is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode head over to integramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news techniques and events in the agile community sign up today at agileweekly.com it's the best agile content delivered weekly for free the Agile Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes. Need help with your Agile transition? Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.